Comedy 365. And now the first in a series of nine programmes with John Dredge, called simply Things. Programme one, Cubes. Hello. Cubes are quite strange when you think about it, aren't they? Or are they? And if so, why? In this programme, which is in many ways the first in the series, I'll be talking to a series of cubologists to find out about these intriguing artefacts. There'll be a report from Sandringham Palace about how cubes have affected the royal family, and William Nothing Much will be talking about the importance of cubes in science, and how magnesium phosphate in cubed form was responsible for Einstein's theory of relativity, in a way. But first, a brief history of cubes, read for us now by me. Hello again. In 1802, at a small railway siding in Pembrokeshire, a porter was sweeping up remnants on the platform when, by mistake, he came across something that had never been seen before. A cube. Intrigued, he sent it directly to Ralph Fumes, local scientist and man. Ralph experimented on the cube, found it was made of sodium nitrate, and was able to replicate the cube tenfold. Now, 100 years later, cubes are available all over the world, the biggest exporter being, of course, Walthamstow East. Here are a few unusual facts about cubes that you may or may not or may know. Cubes are often found in the Sudan in tins, and are used there mainly by bishops and members of the cloth. If you find a cube on the pavement, note its serial number and report it to your nearest cube monger. Cubes come in all shapes and sizes, from regular to large to quite big and vice versa. No cube is too large to fit into a coal bunker, and tests carried out in such bunkers have been so successful that the army is now using them in long-range attacks on goalposts and other seemingly harmless objects. And now, to really start the show off in some sort of manner or other, here's a cubic quiz. So grab a pen, pencil, brush, chisel, or simply douse your elbow with ink, and get ready for question one, which this week has been specially placed just before the second question. There's a prize of a hundred cubes for the first correct entry picked out of the hat, provided the entry is written on a piece of paper larger than before. So let's start the quiz, and then finish it later. Question one. What is the point of cubes? Question 2. See question 1. Question 3. How would you market a really good cube? Question 4. Where is the best cube in the world, and can you locate it using a special appliance? And finally, and I must emphasise this in no uncertain terms and some certain terms, this is the very last of the questions. Question 5. Do cubes become elongated when held in a vice overnight. And question six, how many cubes am I holding up in this safety container? So, those questions again. And when you think you know, or think you don't know, or think in any way at all about anything resembling anything, write the answers on your forehead and send yourself to the following address. It's Things, 99 Acacia Avenue, Forceps, Bile, HP9 2ND. And don't forget that the address I've just given you is false. 
If you need further information on the quiz, see a doctor, or alternatively, go to our website, which exists in time but not in space. And now, entertainment. In 1950, Barry von Wigshear was a well-known musical turn who was famous the length, breadth, and height of Britain. His act consisted of placing a cube in a small cylindrical container and getting the audience to wonder why he had done it. He then would place the container on top of another container and start singing a song about containers and cubes until the audience left. Well, we're very pleased to say that we don't have Barry with us in the studio. But there's a book about his exploits released next week called "The Life of Barry von Wigshear, Cube Maestro and Person Who Is a Music Hall Act." To discuss the book, we have Jeremiah Hogsby, editor of the London Review of Books, and Penny Tapwater of the new and somewhat less vintage publication Book Review Thing. Jeremiah, if I could start with you. Oh, they've gone. Instead, let's talk to leading cubologist Dr. Ralph McRalph. Dr. McRalph, you've been involved with cubes for many years, if not more, I believe. Some would even venture to say that you've been involved with them on many an occasion. Is that a correctitudinal statement, I wonder, or does it venture into the realms of negativitudinality? Well, yes,、uh, I've worked with cubes for some time, and I've always found them to be somewhat less than rectangular, yet somewhat more than rhomboid. Have you always worked with shapes of this nature? No,、uh, I used to only work with shadows and shifting atmospheres. But after a few months, I progressed to shapes. Tell me, Doctor McRalph, have you ever done anything else with your sad life? No,、uh, my work with cubes has always been too stringent to allow for any distractions, as you can see on this stringosity chart. Yes, that does look unusually stringent. Tell me, Doctor McRalph, when walking through the streets of London, do you ever find cubes nearby? Yes, and I have my own method of locating these cubes. Often, I can find up to three at a time, or in some cases more or less, or the exact same amount. I then go home and measure how many I have collected on my cubometer, which I have here behind the stringosity chart. Goodness me! The studio is becoming full up with cubometers and stringosity charts, isn't it? <laughs> Now, this may be an unusual question, Doctor McRalph, but have you ever had more than four legs? That is an unusual question, and I would like to avoid the issue altogether, if I may, by giving you this cube here, which few, if any, human beings have ever seen before. I see. And what is so special about this particular cube? Well, if you look inside it, you can see the lost city of Atlantis. Sometimes, you won't be able to see it at the moment, though. Well, that is most extraordinary, Doctor McRalph, and thank you very much for not not coming in. And now here's an interesting poem about cubes sent in by a listener, a Mr. Brian McMack. It's called Cubes. Cubes are very cube-like. I found one in the road. It looked quite square in some respects, but then away I goed. Well, Mr. McMack, I think you should have written away I went, but don't worry because it wouldn't have improved the poem anyway. We'll be sending you a special iambic pentameter in the post. Hope it comes in handy. It's just coming up to five to three to four, which means, of course, that it's time for our story. Tonight's story is called. Cubic capers, and is written by the well-known author and person that writes things, McCarthy Gambit. 
Chapter One. Leonard had just finished scouring the streets for cubes. He had kept one about his person for many a long year. Yet today he had lost it somehow and felt quite loathsome as a result of this cubic mishap. His friend Nigel was similarly at a loss, though he had never been overly interested in cubes since the fall of thirty-eight, when old Uncle Loomingsworth confiscated all the cubes in the village, and Nigel had supported him all the way, or at least part of it. Leonard was feeling a bit angular that afternoon, so went into the coffee shop to sit down. Once inside, he realised that all the chairs were completely rhomboid, which puzzled him for some time. He approached the coffee shop man and queried this rhomboidular peculiarity. Unexpectedly, the coffee shop man told him how he was intent on replacing everything in the world with rhomboid-shaped objects for a laugh. Which disturbed Leonard greatly. How could he stop this man? At that moment, Leonard noticed that in the corner of the shop was a small unclaimed cube. Quickly and without sloth, he grabbed the cube and flung it at the coffee shop man. Overpowered by the sheer force of cubosity, the man reeled in all directions before falling into a nearby time warp, never to be seen again. In the next episode, we learn what happens to Leonard's cube and why he was sporting an overcoat made from old copies of Whizzer and Chips. Nigel attempts to marry the mysterious woman in the fridge, and Malcolm fries his own eyebrows in a hilarious kebab incident. Now it's time for Inventor's Corner. In May 1415, James Plum invented the prototype rickshaw. It was well designed and able to withstand the most extreme weather conditions, but there was a problem. Whenever the rickshaw travelled more than half a mile, it exploded. Several test runs.